0: I'm speaking with Alan Chuse. He's the book critic for NPR's All Things Considered. His latest novel is To Catch the Lightning. His forthcoming novel, coming out in March of 2011, is Songs of Slaves in the Desert. His latest book is A Trance After Breakfast. Thank you for joining me, Alan. A oh, good pleasure. Good pleasure. Alan, uh, when last we spoke, we were talking about uh, a couple of extremely talented beyond brilliant modern writers who have become more enamored of a form than content. That would be uh, Mr. Franzen and Mr. DeLillo. And uh, that leads us to our three choices uh, for today. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the things that I think uh, interests me about this is... The lure of form the, the and I think it's somewhat similar too to the lure of uh genre fiction and how some extremely talented genre fiction writers can get trapped in in a sense in just writing an endless series
1: you know as a as a fiction writer, I have to say, and you know perhaps it's just me, but uh, you know form is a mystery to me, a complete mystery i mean if if i mean by form do you mean the architecture of the novel mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I write and write and write and write, do draft after draft after draft after draft, and, and a shape and form emerges. Um, the last uh, couple of books I did were, I guess, uh, set within the general arc of a, the main character's life, but um, you know, changed somewhat by you know, having narrators other than, you know, the first-person narrator who's the main character Mm -hmm. um but you know to say i mean to me it it seems impossible to say i am choosing this form uh frankly and i don't mean to mystify the process but it's a mystery to me and you know i I could just as easily say the form chooses me Mm -hmm. um if you're thinking of um you know delillo that i mean that last book um the form evolved, I guess, out of his uh, visit to uh, was it the Guggenheim or the Met, where he saw that performance piece uh, that opens and closes that novel. Um, hmm. I mean, he uses that as the frame, and he says somewhere in an interview that you know that that was what you know that was the seed of the of the novel. Um, as far as Franzen's book goes. Um, it's a rather conventional form. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you look at it, uh, he, he talks about modeling it after uh, Tolstoy. Um, I'm not so sure about that. But um, <laughs> well,
0: well, that's that's not a that's not a a low ambition.
1: No, but you know, we don't want <laughs> novelists who have low ambitions. Uh,
0: well, sometimes we do. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, they, and, and hope
1: they exceed their expectations. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Sure. But in his case, you know, he's he's he's, I guess, has in mind a you know the conventional, realistic form that Tolstoy puts forward in, mm-hmm. in books like Anna Karenina. Um, and he, you know, he stays pretty much with it. He follows that family from, I guess, the 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 event that uh, starts the the action rolling is the teenage son's decision to. Move into the house of the neighbors uh, mm-hmm. where he's uh you know having a love affair with uh, the daughter and that seems to set everything in motion um and the time the time pace of that novel is kind of odd because i mean it seems apt that he choose that moment to set the novel in motion, but you know he then goes back into uh you know. Various summations and expository sequences on the, on uh, the the woman's past and the man's past. Uh, you know, she's a has been a star athlete at college, and now in uh, in her adult life, she's kind of uh, kind of like a, a basketball bovary. You know, <laughs> she uh, she's an athlete, but she's also wondering about her soul. And then he presents this very, well, I have to say, very, very strange sequence. I haven't counted the pages. It's probably 50, 60, 70, I don't know, maybe 100 pages. It mm-hmm. seems longer than it probably is, in which she writes, at the behest of her her therapist, she writes an account of her behavior. And um, she writes it in the third person, um, and I, I guess that's not unconventional for a therapist to ask for but in the novel it's really kind of jarring
2: mm. uh, and mm-hmm.
1: it and you know it really stretches the bounds of credibility that this woman who was basically a uh, you know an average college student who was a, uh, you know a star athlete uh could write so uh deeply about her own psyche
0: well that uh, so would that, be a- that kind of threw
1: the Mm-hmm. immediately through the book.
0: describing this, this passage, I think that's a great example of the lure of a kind of experimental form mm-hmm. that, that seems to work. Yeah, and, it's not a passage, it's you know, long. Yeah, you know, it's a, yeah, and, you know, that kind of well, I can do this, so I will. And and you know, I think that uh, you could maybe take that whole slab out of the novel, and it wouldn't necessarily suffer a, a lot for it. Mm-hmm. Um. And I, I think we can take that in contrast to any, all three of the writers we have today mm-hmm. are, you know, I, I think really at the absolute zenith of their their powers in, mm-hmm. in, in each of the forms. Um, and, and these are, are writers, I think, who are more attuned to the stories they're telling than to being exemplars of the form, but by virtue of the fact that they're attuned to the stories, their form itself becomes mm. exemplary.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And why don't we start with uh, Karen Joy Fowler, sure. what I didn't see. I have to say that that first story in there, this is a collection of short stories, many, Pelican of, them, Bar, yep. yeah, the, many of them published. The, the Pelican Bar, I think, is a story that may very well end up being taught in classes right alongside uh, the lottery. It has the same kind of feel. She won the Shirley Jackson Award this year for mm-hmm. it,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: it has that same kind of slightly out of place, mythic feel, and it mm-hmm. is deeply, deeply terrifying. You
1: know, yeah, it's a. It shows you just how torturous it is, just to grow up. You know, Graham Greene's comment that you know all a writer needs is a, is a childhood. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's certainly one of the most terrifying childhood stories you'll want
0: to read. And it's one of the things I like about this, and I think she does this uh, quite a bit in this book, is to kind of a slightly dislocate us from reality. Yes. And she's she's very expert at <laughs> that. And when she, and the way she does this, is it uh, it makes the story seem more universal. And I I read this almost as 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 a series of like American myths. <laughs> that is, this is like you know the the uh a uh, uh, the Bullfinch's mythology for 21st century America. Well, <laughs> I mean, you know,
1: my, I tried to figure out a more general statement after I'd read all of the stories. I mean, she's somewhere between Borges and Ursula Le Guin, which isn't a bad place to be,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, but yet she has her own locales. Mm-hmm. Uh, She's really, uh, uh, you know, an anomalous kind of writer, which is a wonderful kind of writer to be. Mm-hmm. You never, you never know what to expect from her. Uh, I mean, you know, the Jane Austen book clubs and called, mm-hmm. which made her a ton of money, I presume, mm-hmm. uh, was a, you know a fairly conventional novel. But uh, these stories, in each of them, as you say, kind of makes its own convention, and and they're very interesting and 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 not to be read. One after another, after
0: another. I think you need to. No, uh, you want to pace them out. Yeah, savor them. Yeah, yeah. Um, For example, <laughs> the last worders. That one is, uh, which is uh, two two friends on tour in some place called San Margay. Right. Which again has that kind of wonderfully uh, dislocated uh, mm-hmm. feeling that you you feel that you're in some kind of. Uh, it, she does all the details really well so you feel like you're in a place but mm-hmm. you can't quite put it where that place is and there's this sense of uh, dislocation that is kind of creepy
1: yeah especially when when you know, when this is the story where they where it ends on the ledge mm-hmm. of, of the stone steps in that deep canyon in this uh,
0: poetry competition
1: imaginary place <laughs> right um but the, the, she also does that very odd but strangely a, a attractive story about the uh, the uh, archeologist
0: oh yeah the the Agatha Christie story yeah <laughs> uh and that's kind of sweet and it, it, although it's scary it has you know it, it one of the things i like about her stories is that her sense of atmosphere is never strict mm mm-hmm. she it's it's pervasive and very very complicated
1: yeah um, um but she she does wonderful things with just a touch of location mm-hmm. um i mean that the the feral child story the dark oh. which is set at Yosemite <laughs> um that's quite scary mm. and also that the she's got a you know she's i guess fairly recently moved to santa Cruz
2: mm-hmm. uh
1: California, where you are, and where I live in the summer and um and she writes about that uh, that utopian colony in the Santa Cruz Mountains,
0: Holy City. Yeah, and well, that, and what's interesting always as mm-hmm. she calls it. Well, it's interesting too is uh, how much of her stories are based on on research. That's really a very mm-hmm. heavily uh, researched story.
1: Yeah, uh, is it? <laughs> what I wonder when I finish it with, is it true or is this a
0: Borghesean <laughs> hoax? No, it's. I think it's true. <laughs>
1: Yeah. They they uh, so why well, you take the old Santa Cruz highway mm-hmm. off highway 17 you'll eventually get to the locale of this place.
0: Yes, yes. Um and, and uh she she does a, a a couple of interesting historical stories here too uh, with centering around uh, John Wilkes Booth or, or more right. properly yeah, actually, Edwin Booth. Actually those
1: were the least interesting to me. I'm not sure why. Um but you know she every she tries every every time to make something slightly unconventional, but I think you know she begins with the story first, and it ends up
0: being unconventional. Mm-hmm. she says
1: in the story called the Marianas,
0: uh, oh that's the the the, the family <laughs> huh? the family submarine story,
1: yeah, I mean keep a submarine in your garage, and things will happen to. It's just absolutely bizarre, well, uh, but in that story she says one of the characters says let me, let me see if I get this right. What I do believe is in the desperate fight against the perils of routine living, <laughs> I believe in each man's need to feel that he has somehow been chosen, and then he says it's not everyone who has a submarine <laughs> but that that singularity of mm-hmm. experience is what she celebrates, and uh If she has to kind of edge the material, you know, into the somewhere in the border between the everyday and the fantastic, that's okay. As long as for her, she wants to dramatize a singular experience.
0: And she does that well.
1: It's kind of like, you know, glimpsing life just right out of the corner of your eye.
0: And and sometimes you see something that's real and sometimes you see something that, uh, well, it's real to you.
1: Well, it's real when she makes it real on the page.
0: Mm, That's true. I mean,
1: like the, uh, you know, the the Poetry Society and the little cave carved out of the side of a cliff way down near the bottom of this ravine. Do you want to go there? (laughs) you want to attend the reading?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I kind of do. I I don't know if I can handle those steps. But, well, no, I went up uh, some steps in uh, England, up the steps into a a bell tower. My God. Now, speaking of England, uh, Jean, Jean Le Carre takes us to England mm-hmm. with our kind of trader, yeah. and uh, this is a very interesting novel for him. It's it's I think a lot tighter than some some of his other work, and it's it's a very interesting look at uh, the English upper class, and mm-hmm. and and but it doesn't start there. It starts it starts with a, a couple on vacation.
1: Yes. Uh, he's a he's a uh, a fairly young Oxford Don who has decided he doesn't want to teach anymore, and a rising blonde barrister, um the hot shot one of the hotshot lawyers of uh London City. And they're off on a Caribbean vacation and uh he happens to play tennis with the wrong guy. <laughs> uh quite distinctively uh menacing and rather ugly uh t- russian uh as the tennis pro to arrange a tennis match between the two of them and what we don't know is the russian has a plan it just seems accidental when it happens opens in the, the novel but it, the russian has a plan he's the chief money launderer for all of the, the russian mafia families and um he wants to uh, make a deal with the English. Um, so these two innocent bystanders are drawn into this uh, intrigue set in motion by that first tennis game, uh, and it's really well done. Um, and, and you get inside, as often is the case, into British intele- the British intelligence service. In this case. Uh, a a British intelligence service populated by some rather nervous individuals who fear for the the, the nation, fear for the soul of the nation because it's uh, becoming so corrupted by money, um, and um, it, it it just moves along really really well as this couple gets drawn in for deeper and deeper and deeper into this uh, intelligence plot. On the one hand, and the, and the Russians plot to uh well, I have to say you know defect on the other you, you know and in the style is uh well the, one of the one of the bad novels of Le Carre, it, came, it was one of his more recent books called mission song um about uh uh african you know african dictator military leader uh and it's almost all told in Various voices, or I, I, I much prefer the Karré when he narrates in third person and allows the the characters to speak, uh, you know, now and then. Uh, he, he seems much more under control, and 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 it's more widescreen than just mm-hmm. these long monologues in a novel like it, uh, it, it, those in a Mission Song. But he's um, he's seems to be finding his, uh, you know, getting his speed, getting up to speed again after a. A kind of meandering uh, trip through various kinds of subject matters. Uh, after the demise of the Cold War, now he he seems to be focusing on the West rather than the East as a a place where uh, you know everything is up for grabs and and honor and life itself are at stake.
0: Well, this may, book makes a nice. Uh... Uh, book to read uh, with uh, the latest Martin Cruz Smith novel, Three Stations, which gives a look at Russia from the other side with some of the oligarchs. It's it's interesting to see how the evolution of a country and the evolution of the relationship between countries is changing uh, the literature that's being written about them. It's not surprising, but it's, it's interesting to see the that the uh, how the literature itself is adapting to the situation on the ground, and I mm-hmm. th- think what's nice is that um, that in that process of adaptation, the literature is becoming um, better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think it's more approachable, it's more enjoyable to read, but it mm-hmm. has more uh, ha- more heft, I guess, when you mm-hmm. get down into it, mm-hmm. and, and I think that. Uh, This book shows the virtues of being direct. Now, uh, speaking of direct, for our third book, we have Philip Roth's Nemesis. Yes. Uh, I don't think you can get any more direct than this. And and this is just an incredibly beautiful piece of prose Mm -hmm. from from the very beginning. And and the prose voice is, is just spectacular,
1: yeah well, you don't know till about 2 thirds of the way through uh, exactly who the narrator is but uh in this novel about uh the uh, polio epidemic of of the uh, of the uh, early 40s uh as it as it uh runs rampant through uh what what he calls in the first chapter equatorial newark <laughs> yeah. his, hometown, his hometown um you know it seems a kind of objective uh narration until you realize towards the end that one of the one of the victims of the polio epidemic has been telling this whole story uh, focusing on the uh rise and fall of this uh I guess it's summer of 1944 and this so the war is raging um and this one fellow Bucky Cantor, who wants desperately to fight against the Nazis. Uh, it doesn't pass as physical, and he is uh, stuck as a playground director in Newark with these younger kids, uh, in charge of these younger kids. And, and we watch him struggle with the the, the advent of this epidemic and eventually, um, over the course of the novel, it's not a long novel, but it's really wonderfully Believing that he is the the, uh, the the person who has been passing the, the polio uh, bug around.
0: You know, one of the things I like about this novel a lot is uh, R- Roth's contemplation of fear and and nameless fear, fear of of something you can't lay a hand on. And what's so interesting about yeah, this... yeah,
1: and that you know, in that sense, Cantor is a kind of Rooseveltian hero. You know, mm-hmm. The only thing he has to fear is fear itself, and he triumphs over, tries to triumph over the fear until it turns out to, to be what he assumes is all too real.
0: Well, uh, what, what, I, what I love is this uh, vision uh, of uh, a nation uh, in the grips of something that we know or we presume that science we know that there's a cure out there Mm -hmm. we know it's possible it's like an Mm -hmm. equation we haven't solved yet Mm -hmm. but because we haven't solved yet the the deaths that are attributed to it are are completely meaningless and there's i think a lot of really interesting perceptions uh, of you know fear of death fear of fear (laughs) Mm and how and the uh how this, of course, always reflects back on, on the Jewish population itself, right? And, and two, this is a very interesting portrait of a of a time when America had a very different kind of social structure than it did does now, with the importance of the, all the neighborhoods and mm-hmm. the 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 intimacy of of the different sections of the towns. Now, now this may just be my own California upbringing but I've never experienced anything like that. No, it's
1: exactly like my uh childhood in in New Jersey. Uh, you know, certain ethnic groups were, you know, had their turf. And you walk through it knowing that you're walking through a slightly foreign uh patch of uh, territory. Uh and uh so so he he certainly has has exactly that uh, delineated it exactly as
0: to my experience. Well, too, I think I, we, we were talking about the voice and the prose of this book, and I think that uh, here here's an example where he really immerses himself in that voice and and mm-hmm. lets that voice, um, by, by virtue of that, where... As readers, were really, really sympathetic. We're, mm-hmm. We we love being here, even in this terrible place, in this terrible time, with terrible things happening. And I think that's a that's a a, a huge feat in itself. Yeah, um,
1: I find I, I find it a really beautifully narrated uh, piece of work that takes you into a certain time and place and makes you know what it was like to. Suffer from it, and also to survive it. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Well, um, two. Now, it, it interests me because you know Philip Roth has a huge body of work, mm-hmm. and if you look in the the front here, there are different uh, uh, books. Uh, he has different groups of books, and the. Um, the this book is called Nemesis, and now the, the four books that it belongs with, the short novels, yeah. are all called Nemeses. So I think that's this book, to a certain extent, may be the culmination of this short novel work. It well, seems, who seems knows? Like, I mean, you yeah.
1: add to it, but it's, it's, the, the definition seems to be um, your shadow self as your own nemesis. Mm. Every one of these figures has a kind of shadow self that he's struggling against. Um, in every man, it's the you know the main character's impending death that begin that's present even when he's born. In uh, Indignation, it's uh, again death on the Korean battlefield that this young college boy uh, moves toward over the course of that novel. Um, so you you can see that at work
0: here. Nice. It's fear itself that brings Bucky to his knees. As uh, Italo Svevo put it, "Life is the disease that admits but one cure." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, I've been speaking with Alan Chues. We talked about Karen Joy Fowler's collection of short stories from Small Beer Press, "What I Didn't See," Jean Le Carre's "Our Kind of Traitor," and Philip Roth's "Nemesis." Thank you for joining me, Alan. My pleasure again.